0: hanging Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark and this is Gordon and we love talking about baseball. Tonight is Monday, July twelfth. Uh, we're a few hours out from the Home Run Derby in Coors Field, and that could really argue—you know—be argued tonight to be the bigger event of the two days, just given all the hype around it. You know, you've got Otani. You've got Pete Alonzo coming back to really defend what people would consider the true crown after sort of last year. So it's kind of interesting that the all-star game has really, in some ways, kind of gone full circle back to its original roots and sort of become an exhibition again.
1: Right, right. And and today, today, uh, Ohtoni is going to lead off and he's also the All-Star starting for the American League. Uh, I don't think that has ever happened before in any major league, league baseball All-Star game that the pitcher was a little fitter. <laughs>
0: And so it is just interesting looking at where, you know, the all-star game is today and kind of where it's come from, because there were a lot of things that like when we started kind of talking about the all-star game that we didn't know about. And we kind of got lucky that we were able to talk with somebody here today that is actually a pretty big expert in the all-star games and a lot of historical baseball stuff. And that is Gary Livacari, who is a member of uh, Sabre. Uh, Gary, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, yeah, we wanted to bring Gary on today so that we could discuss a lot of the things that he is really an expert in. And that is going over a lot of the stuff from early baseball stuff. He's actually written a book uh, called the 1919 Black Sox Reflections on the 1919 Black Sox. But there's a lot of stuff that you've also looked into that goes along with the All-Star Games and some of the the Negro Leagues as well. Correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. And so, I mean, we, we wanted to bring you here today cause we were looking back on it and there were a lot of things that like, I never really knew. So like the, the first all-star game took place in Chicago, but frankly, right. you know, you know, shockingly, it wasn't at Wrigley; It was at Comiskey
2: park. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That was Comiskey park or the White Sox were, you know, a big, <clears throat> big team back then. And, uh, everything started, uh, at Comiskey, uh, the, the original, the, the, the uh, man who started it who came up with the idea his name was arch ward who was the uh sports editor of the uh, chicago tribune and he actually is buried not far from where i live. I, I found his grave once when i was looking for gabby hartnett's grave <laughs> and freddie uh winstrom and i found they were real close to each other but arch ward was an interesting guy he also came up with the college all-star game i don't know if you guys remember that or not where the uh the NFL champion played a bunch of college all-stars that that, I think that game went out for into the 19, well, into the 1950s. And he also came up with the uh, golden glove boxing tournament too. So he was a real innovative guy. he came up with the idea for the first all-star game. uh, It was during the depression, 1933 as a way of raising the spirits of uh, you know, of the people during the, uh,
0: during the depression.
2: And Comiskey was a you know much bigger park; it, it held you know forty five, fifty thousand people. Wrigley Field did not do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that, that is a big difference. And I mean, this guy—I mean, Arch Ward was convinced this was going to be a success. He was like so certain of it, like the, yeah. the story goes, that he actually told McCormick, who was the um, a, a publisher for the Chicago Tribune, that Tribune, yeah, the if it didn't work, he could just take the money out of Ward's paycheck. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but
2: that probably makes sense. They framed it after the Eddie Joss uh, benefit game in 1911, I think it was. It was like the first prototype of an all-star game. And I think Arch Ward had that in mind. And then he formulated this. Uh, the timing was good because it was during the Depression and it went over real well. So what I read, it was only supposed to be a one-time event, but it, the, it was such a success that they obviously then they kept it going
0: oh yeah and then, then they were really smart because you know you had your first the, the very first year you had your fan voting ballots were printed right. in 55 newspapers across the countries that's and right who were casting like hundreds of thousands of votes like obviously babe ruth was the top yeah. getter at the time yeah. but like people were able to say no this guy should go and play in what they were calling at the time of the game of the century game
2: of the century exactly yeah that's exactly what it was and uh it was like i said it was a huge success it was a it was a an event in Chicago during the Depression called the Century of Progress, that it was part, was to be part of that celebration. And uh, that's what they, how it started. And then obviously, like I said, they, they kept it going. Now, the interesting thing, in the first World Series, Babe Roof hits the first home run. So that was a big attraction. And also he made, I know this sort of gets lost, but he made a tremendous catch apparently <laughs> in the eighth inning. Up against the wall in right field at Comiskey Park, which was another memorable moment from that uh, All Star game. Lefty Lefty Gomez, I believe, was the uh,
0: winning pitcher too. I mean, yeah, yeah, you had a ton of big names in that World in uh, oh, uh, All Star game. Oh, that's for okay, yeah, I can tell you that
2: there was of the thirty six players, twenty are were future All uh, Hall of Famers, including two umpires, two Hall of Fame umpires, Bill Clem and Bill McGowan. Another interesting thing, too, is they started uh, – I believe um, Bill Clems started behind home plate, or, or maybe it was McGowan. And then at the, in the fifth inning, they switched because they went from a National League umpire at home the, to an American League umpire at home. And they also switched the ball. They started out with a National League game ball, <laughs> authentic National League, and then they switched the ball to an American League game also in the fifth inning. But so they just, had a lot of – a lot of stuff like that going on.
0: <laughs> yeah, just to make sure it was, it was perfectly fair, you know, yeah. you know. You didn't have the, the National League umpires ruling one way for them, even though the American League team ended up didn't end up winning that very first yeah, that, All-Star they,
2: game. They did, yeah, and they won the next game, too. And it wasn't until 36, I believe, uh, the National League actually won the
1: first game. And those, no, the sixth, oh, those first games sixth. were played during the day, right? I mean, there, there was oh, no sure. night games, so oh, I no, didn't no, uh,
2: are, In front of, uh, four, was, I think, the Tend 49,000 fans for that first game. You know, it's pretty big for our first time events that, have, you know, that draw that, that big, but, but, I mean, you think of the names that were playing in that game, you know, and you have to remember too, that baseball was the only, was the sport. There was no other professional sports. Everybody was involved. It was a big part of the uh, culture, uh, you know, so you, you put all those factors into the, into the
0: pot there and you can see why it was such a huge success. And I think it's actually interesting because one of the things that you could talk about with that very first All-Star game is something that's kind of been diluted by interleague play today, and that's in that oh. All-Star game. How many of those Hall of Fame players, 20 of them in that game, actually played each other for the very first time in Absolutely. that Absolutely.
2: Well, that's a very good point, and that's I like to make that point. A lot. Uh, interleague play has basically destroyed the rivalry that was in existence during those early years of uh, the All-Star game. And when we get to a later one, 41, I always like to mention that Ted Williams, with his you know, Hall of Fame tremendous career that he had, he always says his home run, his walk-off home run to win the 1941 uh, World Series was the highlight of his career. I mean, that's quite a statement when you think of all the accomplishments that guy yeah, like That, that
0: one moment to him was the highlight. Yeah,
2: he, yeah it was a walk-off home run. We'll probably talk about that one in a couple minutes, but... What? What? I mean, he, he saw, I've heard him. I mean, I've read of him, of him saying that it was the highlight of his career was winning that all series. That's that's gives gives you an idea of what the inter league rivalry was back in those days. And, and that's you know. been that's been largely
1: lost. kind of a lament, though you know, in this case because, because he never in a World Series, so he didn't have that experience. Right. That's true.
0: But I think it's interesting that obviously in 1997 you started interleague play, which definitely started to kind of back off the interest in the All-Star because you could see the players playing. So then, of course, we had that wild 15-year stretch where Major League Baseball decided, well, what if the All-Star game decided World Series? Oh, geez. And (laughs) people forget the very first year. The very first year they try it. Is the only year I think the All Star Game has ever ended in a draw?
1: Now, there were two That's actually. There, but so there, was was, two, yeah, there was two. There's two draws. Two.
0: Okay, yeah. what was the other draw then? I don't know what the year, but there was another one. <laughs> yeah. So in that 2002 year, they ran out of pitchers, and the game ended 7-7. Seven, seven. So yeah. the very first year is supposed to mean something. It meant nothing because they couldn't decide. Yeah. On it. I know. I know.
1: Yeah. Um, the and other you know, draw-, draw was in 1961, um, and and of course, and we kind of talked about this in our prep for the show. There were a few years where they played two major league baseball, oh, baseball yeah.
2: all-star games. And I'm old enough to remember all those, too. Absolutely, <laughs> I think it was, I want to say, 59 to 62. I can't remember here, but somewhere so, along those lines. So
0: those years, were they playing two all-star games because it was just like a revenue thing? They wanted to get the players out on the field twice, or was it like a way of honoring more players?
2: Uh No, because it was the same teams. Okay. It
0: was the same teams.
2: Uh, I, you know, I, I think it was a revenue thing. I, I remember hearing the what arcane reason that they did it, but I, I don't remember it offhand, but I, it had something to do with revenue. So, I mean, as usual, but, you know, one other point I wanted to make was like, when I was a kid, uh, I was a Cub fan. A lot of my friends were White Sox fans. So the All-Star game was huge for uh, kids in the city of Chicago. I can tell you that, you know, for league rivalries, bragging rights, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was it was just a very big thing,
0: yeah. and it's been a close series its entire. Oh. you know,
2: you know. I would. The thing I just wanted to make real quick was I remember a period, uh, it probably was in the '60s, when all of a sudden the national just started winning game after game after game after
1: game. After, it was probably like six or seven in a row. Nineteen, no, remember, nineteen out of 1920. 19 out of twenty. The national. Oh, is that what it was? Nineteen. Okay, from nineteen sixty three to nineteen eighty two. Okay. So they, so, yeah, so they just
0: dominate. So yeah, they just absolutely that's, dominated. That's wild because right now the series total is 45 wins for the AL and 43, t- 43 wins for the NL. So yeah. the NL won 19 out of 20 in yeah. like a single period, and it's still only they're still behind. It's only yeah. two things. Well, because day.
2: later on, as your dad might remember this too. All of a sudden, the American League started dominating. All I right. remember it was more recent years. But all it, every year, I mean, for a National League fan like me, it was, you know, like, oh, God, you know, they lost again. You know, can we please just get a win here? You know, it was like, yeah, they had a huge streak going, too. So if I'm surprised it's as close. The, the totals
1: are as close as it is. 40, what do we say? 40. 5 to 43, I believe. It is, 40. yeah, 5 43. And we saw the runs, total runs over the history of the All Star games. <laughs> the AL has 3 and the NL has 3 which 70, you know, which, you know, considering the scores are all over the place, but yeah. they're that close, close is remarkable. Yeah, it really is. That, that's a good point. I didn't know that.
2: But, but uh, yeah. And you got, you know, guys like uh, Hank Aaron was in 20, I think, 24 or 25 games. I think he has a record on Willie May's 24. Museo, I think, also has like 24, too. And it, well, people always ask, well, how could that be? Because how could they have been in that many games? It's because they had two. <laughs> they were in both games during so You actually period. ended up
0: playing, you only got the one All Star now. But you yes, got you got, two got one games you made,
2: Yes, yeah, you got two games played. So there's a discrepancy. I can't tell you how much often that comes up whenever I write about the all-star game that'll always come up <laughs> people always wonder well you have to be as old as i am to remember that uh i think
1: so <laughs> and, and it's it's bragging rights right of course because of it was important then then and actually they really really want to beat the american league and league and vice oh well. sure but it's also money I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's hard for today's fans to realize Yeah, well, like, well that's how, another part how, all-star yeah. game money money would a difference but it, yeah. but it did
2: yeah absolutely it, that was that was a big part of it back then too yeah, they played you know for the love of the game in the interleague right Oh, and the other thing was you didn't have players moving from league to league like you said. Why did these, most of these guys were played? They were American League guys or they were National League guys, and they played their entire careers that way, you know, with some exceptions. But for the most part, you know, you can see why they there were they was loyalty to your league, and you wanted to beat the other league. It was a big
1: big thing. Gordon had talked about you know how the fans selected you know the all stars. Yeah. Really, and, and that was surprisingly impressive for Major League Baseball, who's normally known for that kind no. of. A, of a, I think the first game around. I, I, I think the first game, the fans picked
2: the starters or something, and then the the uh, managers picked the reserves or something along those lines. So there was a, a mix there, but it was definitely fans were involved. And then over time, of course, as you guys know, that changed back and forth different times. I've always been, I've never. I know this sounds, you know bad I guess, but I always liked it when <laughs> the managers and the players picked the teams rather than the fans. I, I just never could get my hand my head around the fans, you know, from the, the big major markets favoring their own
0: team uh, their own players. You know, I never thought that was fair. So I, I mean it the- literally happened one year in 1957. Yeah, I mean, Okay, the Reds yeah. Reds fans stuffed the ballot box so that a yeah. Red was starting in every single position except yeah. first base. And it's yeah, just okay. like okay, it's not an all star vote at that point. It's a popularity yeah. contest.
2: That's right. That's what I mean. And it, 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 I've never thought that was fair. If you're from a smaller market, you're going to get cut out because you don't have the fan base. So I've never liked that. I've always preferred the uh, you know the players or the managers or whoever, you know people in the game rather than just turning it into a, a popularity contest with the largest fan base. So that was, that's always been my
1: feeling about, about the selection. He was famous for for that. I remember him always choosing, choosing his players. And, 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 you know, trying to be in the good graces of your players. If you're, if you're the all game manager, it kind of makes sense. You know, if you have that opportunity that you treat your player well. Yeah.
2: Sure. I mean there's that element of it too so what what's the best solution or what you know who know I don't know I, <laughs> I let other people worry about that I don't I'm not sure what the best solution is but I liked it when the players were voting on their contemporary players I mean I thought that was a good
0: system you know I think I think if you want the the, the, the generally the most accurate, you'll probably have the players just vote and yeah. they can vote it for anybody but themselves because that right, will yeah. generally have the cream of the crop rise to the top.
2: Absolutely. Back. Yeah. The guys, they see who, you know, they played against these guys, you know, for the first half of the year, they know who's having a good year, who's not having a good year. And uh, I, I think that's the most equitable. If you really want to have a game that matters, I think that's the way to do it. If you don't want to have a game that matters then do what you
1: want. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Gary, one thing thing that didn't happen to uh, talk about it, a game that would have mattered is uh, it will tell us about the uh, Negro League's All-Star Games that also began in 1933, but, but yeah. will be, and the Negro League, of course, never did stage a game uh, against one another as an All-Star Game, uh, to my knowledge.
2: Uh, that That's probably true. I'm not 100% sure of that. But The Negro League All-Star Game it the, was called the East-West All-Star Game. It was the highlight of the year for the uh, black, uh, African-Americans, people, came, I was just reading a little bit over people came from all over the country and they poured into Chicago for that game. They used to, they would draw in the middle of the depression, they could draw 50,000 people. When you think of all the hardships that those guys had to go through they, in the middle of the depression, they were able to put an all star game together and draw 50,000 people. And uh, I have there's some great quotes I, uh, from, uh, buck o'neill talking about what it was like in the city of chicago the the hotels were hopping you know the jazz joints were hopping the south side of chicago was just a big party you had black celebrities coming in you had cat calloway Louis armstrong lena horn uh bo jangle mr you know all these it was it was and then i don't know if you had ever had a chance to see i put a video when i did that post about the 1939 negro league all-star game i put a video i still get I literally do get chills up and down my spine when I watch the first minute or two of that, when you see, when they're panning the stands and you see the the fans, they they love the game. That was the Negro Leagues. They love the Negro. Everybody's dressed, uh, you know, the men are in suits and hats. The women are wearing fancy hats and dresses. Everybody's happy. It's just a wonderful slice of Americana at that time. Unfortunately, with the stigma, you know, of segregation was, you know, certainly a blight on everything, but in the midst of all that, they were able to do this. And this was, as Buck O'Neill said, this was their game. They loved it. And in general, they loved the Negro leagues uh, again, in spite of all the hardships that they, the players went through, they absolutely loved the Negro leagues. Uh, when Jackie Robinson broke the color beer, they all knew deep down as, as wonderful as that was, and they all wanted that to happen. That they knew that spelled the end of the of the Negro Leagues, and it was a very so there was very mixed feelings about that. And one other point on that was that I remember reading from Larry Doby, I think it was, saying that his, Jackie was a great player, and nobody denied that. But the greatest was Josh Gibson, without a doubt. Everybody knew that, and it was just a tragedy that he never was able to play in, in the in the major leagues. <clears throat>
0: And it is one of the things that kind of is exciting with Major League Baseball finally kind of coming around and doing the right thing and embracing yeah. that time here now, with, with our ability to digitally restore film and photos and recreate, we're going to be able to see hopefully some of these games in this in this uh, this really this whole era of baseball. I think a lot of baseball fans, myself included, are woefully undereducated in. Oh sure,
2: most people are, you know. It's, you know, but again, I know we talked about this before. What a wonderful thing that they are, including the Negro Leagues, calling them a major league. It needed to be done. As I mentioned to you the other day, the Federal League is considered a major league. It existed for two years with a bunch of players that they swapped over from. Renegades. Yeah, (laughs) renegades. The American, I happen to know a little bit about the American Association. It existed uh, 10 years, 1892 to 1891. That's considered American, uh, a major league. You know how can you deny uh, the Negro Leagues to be a major? And I wouldn't want to be the guy who has to sort out all the records, but I don't have to do that. But someone did tell me that they they're using box scores to uh, determine you know what right. how many home you know what I mean, and that seems like a fair way to do it. Mm-hmm. If you have if you have a box score from the game,
0: then that'll authenticate that particular game yeah just about as well as you could obviously you yeah just as the, well as you could Yeah, the, the weird stuff where like oh actually this player lost a hit somewhere in his career or yeah. something but
2: or you know the the stories of josh gibson hit 800 home runs right, right. right. you know and, all right well you know that's he probably did but you know how many of those were in you know exhibition games you know and stuff like that so mm. and i don't deny that he was probably the greatest home run hitter of all time but you have to have some validity or validation, and I think they're going to use existing box scores, which to me sounds like a reasonable way to do it. it sounds like they're right, uh, right. because uh, it's something that yeah. got
0: put. We, we recorded it, we know what those things are.
1: Yeah, yeah, Gary. We, um, the the unique league all star east west games went on beyond 1947 when Jam Jack, Jack and Larry. Oh, Dillon yeah, came the yeah. yeah, I think they went on
2: to 62. I think we decided, uh, um when we were talking last time, which I know that, but it just lost its steam once it gradually. Sure, I mean, sure. not initially, but after Jackie broke, you know, came in and broke the color bear, gradually it just lost its steam. And they all mm-hmm. knew that they knew it was going to happen. And I mean, I also read quotes, how much, uh, how much they loved the players loved. And in spite of all the hardships they went through and yeah. what, what were they, how much money were they even making? But they all, you could talk to any of them. They would, they all said, we loved the Negro League. We would have done it, you know. You know, it was just it was our game. It was something we had. We loved the camaraderie. The, the can you imagine what those bus trips were like from city to city, you know. But and you know the hardships that they had to endure. But they loved the Negro League. So it's it definitely, you know, some sadness that the Negro Leagues passed. But it certainly had to be done. There's no question about that. There, there, there's a bitter sweetness to
0: it where you're like, yeah, that's uh, where, a good way to put it. Yeah, where like you understand that yes, it was inevitably this was the path it was going to go down as soon as Jackie Robinson played in the major leagues. But yeah, once that happened, you had to recognize what you were losing as well as what you were gaining. And, and you would yeah. never be able to, like you said, kind of have that league sustain itself when you could be playing, no. in, when they could right. playing in major Absolutely. league baseball. And
2: then the other question is that you hear a lot, how many of these guys were major league caliber? And that's of course hard for us to judge, but I would, I'll go out on a limb and say a real good percentage of these guys were were major league caliber.
0: I would uh, It's the only thing that makes sense. You'd have to assume that because how many of the guys in the major leagues were not major league caliber? Well,
2: there's a lot of ways of looking at that. Again, baseball was the only professional sport. They had a ball, triple A ball, double A ball, D ball, C ball, I mean, all the way down to, to D. I mean, there's leagues all over the place. So to make the major leagues, you have to be a pretty darn good player. And then to stay there, there's yeah, always a <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. But uh, there's no question that, uh, you know, a high percentage of the Negro league players certainly could have been playing in, in the uh, major leagues.
1: That's my feeling. I'm surprised that there's no, I I don't know any television accounts, so there's no, they never televised an East East, West game. Uh, Are you aware that? No, uh, no, I'm not
2: aware of that at all.
1: (laughs) I've never heard that. Yeah. And so Uh, they had the opportunity to do that, which just furthers the idea that, you know, the the fact that they got all these folks to show up at these games when the deck was kind of stacked against them, right? Um, Yeah. It was amazing. Oh, yeah.
2: And I love, like I was mentioning earlier, listening to the opening minute or two of this uh, video that I put on that one post is from highlighting the uh, uh, Negro league museum in Kansas city, but it's got a lot of footage from the. uh, when you listen to the uh, introduction of the players, it it just, I do get goosebumps because the the, the reaction of the fans like Leon day, the the place just goes berserk, you know, Oscar Charlton, Josh Gibson, I mean, if you get a chance, play that video. Just the first couple minutes of it, it, it really, it really gets to you. You know, just how cool. much we'll they love. We'll find and
1: post a link about that.
2: Yeah, it it, it, it it was just a such a big part of the um, African American culture. That's what baseball meant in the thirty and nineteen thirties. The whites, the whites and the blacks. You know, yeah. one other thing I was to say real quickly. One of the highlights of being, you know, editing or the administrator of my web page is I get contacted by uh, descendants of players relatives and I've had many of them I think I'm up to about 50 different ones but one of my the, my highlights for sure is when uh, uh Josh Gibson's grandson Sean Gibson contacted me and I had a real nice interview with him I wrote about it put it it's on the web page there and uh, I'm real proud of that one that was probably my favorite although I had some other good ones too I've had uh, mark Dean who is a grandson of Paul Dean I came real close with him I had a nice interview with uh Chris Baker who is the uh, uh, great-grandson of home run Baker i, 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 I got a, yeah that's and if, you, if I should I, i'll try to remember this I'll put a picture of home run Baker and Chris Baker you
1: they they look identical it's like it's that's <laughs> that's that. that's great um the uh, you know you know we home run Baker, Baker as I believe uh, the the 1914 World Series and the miracle Braves uh, no no he's just a giant no. giant I'm so wrong yeah. wrong guy he he was right. a giant right he got his in 1911 is when he got his uh, right. the moniker the home run I think he
2: had two home runs in that World Series or something
1: yeah so but he was a, um, he
2: was a great ball player too.
1: Uh, and and you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to see any game between the major, major leagues and 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 the, the start until the East-West also until they came into you know uh, the, the the major leagues finally in 1947. And, and uh, the game uh, all the way up until until we said until 97 they had interleague play play was a game that was contested. It, it meant some, something for rights, and that. 97 is about God, almost 20 years after cable tv came in when people could start seeing the players there is at other times so the the all-star game was sort of lo- losing a little momentum even as soon as cable tv came a- around yeah i would agree with that yeah
0: and and again that just makes sense because of the. and i think this is kind of where you can start kind of getting into with the modern kind of all-star game where it's just yeah. like the idea that here's this one game at some point during the summer that you're going to see all of these players from all across the country play in this game when you normally don't get to watch 85% of them is a really cool thing. But now all I have to do is open up my phone and stroll to Twitter. Every highlight from every single guy that's playing in this game tomorrow night, every night. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh for while we're, we're,
2: we're doing a little history of the uh all-star game you got we have to mention of course the uh, 1934 game that was the second game that's the great game when carl hubble struck out five hall of famers in a row you guys you guys familiar with that one
1: oh yeah yeah, and yeah. i did not yeah. know he struck out five hall of Famers. and, and it was in the hall oh, yeah. Oh, yeah and he was a pitcher yeah.
2: <laughs> yes that's right and uh one little trivia I can give you on that one. The, it, the inning started with a single and then a walk, and then he struck out the five guys. I happen to know who the walk was, who he gave the walk to. <laughs> <laughs> only because it was Heidi Manoush. The only reason I know that is because, I don't know if you remember this, Mark, a few, maybe six weeks ago, two months ago, I, I did a write-up about sure. it. was interviewed, uh, interviewed by relatives. I interviewed relatives of Heidi Manoush. And that point came up that he was—they're very proud of that. He was the guy that walked before Carl started on the uh, five uh, strikeouts. So that's a I, long I, little I, sort
1: of tribute. I think Heidi <laughs> nobody would know sh- that. Um, was a guy who won the unofficial crown and didn't win the triple crown because they didn't award it at the time. So he, yeah. so he had to Oh,
0: score. so it's like, oh, yeah, you would have won it if we actually bothered keeping track of
1: that stuff. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a great one, the, the, the up uh, in that. So the, the most famous all-star strikeout, I can remember a little bit about, about all-star memories was in, in 1993, and that was John against Randy Johnson. So, Gordon, I don't know if you've ever even heard of this, you know. Oh, play.
0: of course. How could you forget this? Because he puts his helmet on backwards and bats from the other side of the plate because he's just
2: like, oh, yeah, Johnson. I forgot all about
0: that
1: one. Yeah. I think somebody else did that against Randy. No, it was Kruk. It was. It was
0: Kruk. Yeah, so it was Kruk. handed hitter. Yeah, because it Krunk was Kruk. Yeah, that. yeah. And yeah. after the first slider, <laughs> he just goes to the right-handed batter's box. He's just like, yeah. I- I'm not to by this bitch.
1: <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. And and they both had mullets. And, and and that was the only time I think I've ever seen Randy Johnson smile on the field as he <laughs> walked out striking him out because it was really free to watch Kruk, Kruk you know, uh, yeah. do that.
0: Um, there was a sense of humility about that, that. That was There was a very, you know, there was a humility about Kruk basically giving up his at bat in the All-Star yeah. game for the yeah. joke. Not a yeah. lot of guys would have the ability to, like, let themselves kind of be the butt of the joke in that right. moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know if there's like you don't have the the ex because the, the game doesn't mean as much now, right? Right. Uh, you know. Pete Rose knocking over Rifassi you an know, know, yeah, all-star know. game and yeah. how hard knows to play. How could a guy yeah. play that hard in an all-star star?
2: That's right. There's a
0: there's a good example of how the game has changed. the all-star game has changed. At <laughs> the same time, I will say this for baseball's all-star game. It is without a doubt the most enjoyable of all of like the US oh, major sure. sports one because yeah. the players yeah. can actually like they're playing it like 90 to 95% efficiency. Like if yeah. you watch the NBA All-Star Game. Yeah. That really doesn't resemble basketball outside of like no. maybe a two-minute stretch at the end of the game. Yeah, Jacob deGrom, when he went out in 2015 and struck out the side on 10 pitchers, that was just Jacob deGrom. He was just showing, <laughs> hey, this is my stuff. Hit it if you can.
2: Another all-star game I wanted to mention real quickly was the uh, 1937 game. That's the game <laughs> when Earl Averill hit a line drive off of uh, Dizzy Dean's toe, and it started Dizzy's career going downhill because he tried to come back too soon from the injury, and it threw off his throwing mechanics. And he was never the
0: same after that. <laughs> so that's. So I gotta ask. Move. There's never been an All Star Game brawl, right? No, uh, that there's I. There's never know. been like a bench clearing incident in All Star. I doubt, it. In I doubt can it. You, can doubt you imagine it. if there was like yeah. a bench clearing incident in an All Star game, that would be wild. <laughs>
1: I think that they're, and particularly to like the the, the players of fifty years ago ago would not even believe the camaraderie among Major League players in terms yeah. of how they interact with one another, both on and off the field. You just didn't do that. You know, yeah. and
0: that is something I do really enjoy about watching the home run derby tonight is when you watch that home run derby, all of the players will be out on the field with like their kids and stuff watching and cheering people off. Yeah. And yeah. can you imagine the crowd of players that are going to be out there tonight when Otani is taking his swings in the home run yeah. derby? Yeah, sure, Every yeah. single person is going to be glued to that. I want to watch yeah. it. I am so curious to see what he does. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and they, you know, I saw some uh, footage of, uh, I think, uh, Madison of the 80s. Practicing his, you know, like so these guys actually practice for the home run derby. Kind of <laughs> they think, well, they just go out out there and wing it. What the heck? It doesn't really matter. But these guys are working on their stroke, trying to hit home runs. Which honestly, but, if
0: I'm probably an A's fan, I'm like Matt Olson, please stop because how many guys have we seen go to the home run derby and ruin their swing for, right. like, I for the rest say- of the year or their career trying to hit right. home runs?
2: I was gonna make that same point. You hear that all the time. They get more so involved in the home run derby that. The second half of the season, they're never the same again. You know, they've <laughs> they've uh, you know injured themselves or trying to win the home run
1: derby. You know, so we, we met. we a- we'll, we'll tell you about David Wright, who was who won the home home run derby and was bad after that for for like right. a season or more because he just was trying to elevate the ball, and that really right. was, wasn't his game. Granted, That's for right. now,
0: you could get away with it because nobody's going to care if you strike out if you're That's a right. true outcome player because everybody yeah. wants you to elevate the ball and just hit Tom's home runs.
1: And uh, <laughs> uh, another memory that I had, you know, the, the, the Mets were, were pretty bad in the late 70s and early 80s. And in 1979, they had a, a younger named Lee Mazilli who was their, <laughs> their <laughs> only AR. <laughs> Um, and Zilly hit a game-winning home run in the all, uh, All-Star game. Uh, and that, the one thing we had to cheer about as, as Met fans, because the team was so awful, awful in the other way, <laughs> But at least we had that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's always nice when you're, you know, even if your team is bad like the Cubs were for many years, but maybe Ernie Banks hit
1: a home run, you know, in the game, and uh, that would be a big thing. So I, I don't know, maybe maybe you know, Gary, or you can you can uh, opine on, you know, is there a way to make the game in, in more of a contest of to win the game or is, or is it never happened that way because the game is no longer designed a way where where those competitive juices will come out
2: I would I would say the latter is probably true they they've just sort of done so much damage to the uh, with the interleague play and the money the big bucks Uh I, I just don't know how you could ever go back to the uh, the way the game was played back in the 30s or the 40s or something like where you got a guy like
0: Ted Williams saying that was the highlight of his right. career. Interestingly, I that, though, I have seen some rumblings. I saw, I think it was Anthony DeComo that I could be wrong on this. I did see somebody tweeting out about how changing up the major league schedule, specifically in this way. So what if you went where – I mean, the vast majority of interleague games are relatively pointless outside of the couple of actually important, yeah. like, regional rivalries. Yeah. So if we just switched over to playing within our own leagues more, that would probably actually oh, sure. heighten the interest in the all-star game. Like, if the Mets might play the Yankees still, but if the Mets don't play anybody from the AL Central or the AL West, it's more interesting then.
2: It's definitely diluted the game.
1: There's no qu- the interleague play. The, the interleague play, the way they have it set now with the five five teams in all the divisions necessitates them having an interleague every night because they, yeah. they don't have teams within, let's the say, they have That's to right. realign in and, yeah. or, or add, um, which is more likely g- g- going to be what happens, right? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. going to add a few teams and you'll have then, then 16 teams, teams in the league uh, and yeah. then you'll be able to maybe uh, unbalance schedule a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think um, I, I'd agree agree with both. that I, I, I like the idea that the, the, the home run contest has be- derby has become, you know, sort of a, one of the highlights of it because the game itself is, is unique to the the team as a player because that's important. Contractually, reputation-wise, uh, historically, and, and all that. But, but as far as who wins the game, I would challenge a lot of people to say, well, who won the game two years ago? Who won the yeah. game five years ago? Nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows.
0: The game has become pretty much meaningless. Yeah, especially now that, you know, contractually for a lot of these guys, like look at Jacob DeGrom, who obviously probably would have been starting the all-star game tonight, but for him, all his contract is set up to award him for making the all-star team. They don't care. If anything, the Mets probably would prefer, they're like, yes, this is great. We don't want Jacob DeGrom throwing any innings in the all-star game and potentially getting hurt. So let's keep him out of there, but we'll give him money for getting named.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the investment is in the bear and you can't afford to have them get hurt in a game and count. Yeah. yeah. So anything and why Why people would bet I won't get on, get on a sidetrack in an all-star game when the outcome oh, is not, not for yeah. <laughs> And people yeah. do. You can <laughs> and go get to the, Las yeah, Vegas, course. Vegas. Sure. But
0: people would bet, you know, whether or not you'd be able to wake up this morning and get out of That's bed. That's right. So yeah. like, <laughs> gamblers <laughs> will bet on anything if you give them a reason to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well, um Gary, thank you for for joining. Us. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the the, two, the the book that you wrote, uh, and yeah. that is the 1919 Black Sox reflections uh, on the on the 1919 Black yeah. Sox. It's time to take another look. Look, at a series yeah. of of essays really that have bring together. I saw as a 360 degree view um, of what went on in that season.
2: Yeah. Well, I read. um I I started out like everybody else, you know, with eight men out, you know, I read the book, I saw the movie and that that was my understanding of it was no more than that. And then I, you know, as I got involved with baseball history over the years, I read the book burying the, burying the white, uh, the black Sox* by Gene Carney. And it just opened up my eyes. I, I, I just, I came to realize that there was much more to the story than we had ever been led to believe. And what always struck me from that book was that the people who were there, who actually saw the series in person, didn't see anything uh, amiss. And I'm not—I'm not talking, you know, a casual fan. I'm talking the official scorer, the umpires, uh, most of, almost all of the sports writers, the fans, the Reds, Pat uh, Moran, the manager of the Reds. I don't—I don't think Gleason, Bill Gleason saw anything. So the people who were actually there did not see anything that looked suspicious. So that always, that sort of opened the door for me. And then I started reading a little bit more. And I, the next thing I did was I read uh, the 1956 interview of Chick Gandel. was in sports illustrated. And I, it's a very, it's a fascinating interview. If you ever get a chance to read it, um, where he basically admitted that he was a ringleader of the plot. They definitely conspired to throw the games they took money uh but when it actually came down to playing the games he said you know we did we did we we played we played the win by the time the games rolled around these guys were so mentally out of whack they had this baggage of everybody there was rumors of uh of a fix was in the air and they they, i'm convinced that they uh that by the time they they didn't know what to do, and so they were, had this men, heavily heavy baggage, mental baggage, and they lost because they were uh, they just couldn't play. Baseball is basically a mental game, and they they could not play properly, you know, with all that going on. Now, I and mean, it's the only at like a certain that, point it kind I of mean, becomes it, like a
0: chicken and an egg kind of thing. Did they throw the World Series, or did they lose it first? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, they've, I mean is there, there's just so much to it. Uh, Oh, and the other thing that, in Gene Carney's book, was that um, he his, one of his main points was there was different levels of guilt. You know, like, okay, Gandell was the ringleader. He's the one who was taking the money, giving it out, stuff like that. But should Buck Weaver have been thrown in there with a lifetime ban, like the the ringleaders? Should Joe Jackson have been thrown in there? Buck Weaver and Joe Jackson play stellar ball. There's never been any indication that they did anything but play 100%. So I always said, I think Weaver is had guilty knowledge. That's what you, you hear about him. That's why Landis uh, banned him. I think, looking back on it, he he probably should have gotten like a, a one year suspension or something and been reinstated. So there's diff- there was different levels of guilt, but they all got a one size fit all uh,
1: punishment. Right. Yeah. And so that
2: that was Gene's uh, Carney's uh, major one of his major premises. I became friends with Gene too. He came to Chicago. And uh, on a research project, I took him out to dinner fittingly at uh, Shoeless Joe's Sports Bar. Here, not bar <laughs> of course, you did. But,
1: yeah,
2: and that was a lot. We had a real nice night there, and they have like you know authentic uh, front pages from the Chicago Tribune, you know, stuff like that, in a in a glass cage. Yeah. yeah. So it was really nice. we had a real nice time. But he he definitely was that book is definitely the definitive book on the on the and I just m- my essays are just you know. In, points that i got from that that i developed
1: i recommend i recommend book to anybody who's listening and wants to learn more and more But it um i thought i thought what you made about joe jackson and we all you know feel enough, enough. He, you know he had 357 and he played played well, well all the way around yeah. but yeah. it took money you know, for right. that and that's your point there going you get the money you know you know you can't absolve yourself of, of anything yeah. because you because you the money I, I well, think it,
2: that's, yeah that's that's absolutely true and that's what the point i make in there was they really screwed themselves when by taking the money. You know, they definitely they conspired. But when money was given and accepted, I, I make the point it was like a they were in with the gamblers, and you know that was it's like a tower baby. Once you touch a tower, you cannot get rid of it. And their protestations of innocence just rang hollow. Once, once nobody people, was going to listen
0: at that point. No,
2: no, nobody. They, they were trying to say basically, Well, we, we took the money, but we were going to double cross them by playing best to win. Well, nobody's going to win that right. one, right. yeah. you know. Well. But that was that's basically their argument, and it may even be true. But the fact that money was accepted, uh, just sort of makes that ring hollow, yeah. But I think, I guess, my major point, I just think there's a lot more to the story, yeah, than, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Than, no, and, and you obviously, obviously, you have the time baseball photos f- Facebook page with uh, a lot of followers yeah. there. You can you can check out great photos and Gary, Gary is great at sourcing and identifying players that you know. You look in the pictures going, I have no idea that who is and uh, who, who that and Gary. Will, uh, <laughs> yeah, out and That's find you know, you know these, yeah. these obscure players that you know have been have been lost to their uh, yesteryear. Well, um, yeah. last question, I Gary, we watch the All Star game tonight. Oh, yeah, I'll be watching it, sure. Yeah. Oh, good. Because yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, some people like, oh, it's not, it's not like it used to be. I'm glad. No, it's still a spectacle. I, to go, go. To uh, no, I no, know more than going to be watching, too. Yeah. So uh, thanks uh, nice again, Gary. And then we'll uh, oh, sure. back for another uh, the program. I'd just
2: like to say one thing. You know, one of my major points I've always tried to make is how baseball is what a wonderful bond between fathers and sons. And what you two guys are doing just proves that point more than anything. There's nothing like baseball to bond fathers and sons. And uh you guys approved that point. I'm really I really admire you for that.
1: Thank you very much, I really appreciate sure. that.
2: Okay, real good. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our
1: podcast on your favorite platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at almost